Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? I gotta stop laughing. We were talking about something funny, and now we're going to talk about Fukushima and Chernobyl and global warming, and we're 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 hysterical here. Oh my! Oh man, it's so. I don't know about you, but there's that thing where you start laughing you and then stop. you can't stop and everything seems I've funny. I've had that during Zazen um, meditation, in the middle of a Zen, though. Everybody's <laughs> quiet and I can't stop laughing. Oh, it's, it's we've all been there. Well, we'll try and control ourselves. You wanted to talk about the environment today. My first thought was, what's Zen about the environment? In, in the sense of protecting the environment, that sort of thing. What what Zen element is there? In well, that this? actually is going to be our theme today, um, Zen and the environment. And uh, it uh, has some uh, unusual uh, ways to uh, think and not think about it. But uh, it's it's some week, like you mentioned. They, I, I'm 100 miles from Fukushima, I'm and right on the coast here, the fishermen are all upset because they announced uh, just today that they're going to release the uh, drain-off water that they've been gathering for years uh, from Fukushima, which has some nasty stuff in it that they cannot get rid of with all their filtering and other techniques, and they're just going to dump it in the ocean. Um, and the fishermen, of course, are very upset. Now, I read a, a UN report this week, if you can trust a UN report, that said the the ocean does a very good job of filtering this. and And probably it, it will not be a problem. And they, they've gone and looked at the fish that are around Fukushima, and, and and most of the fish are actually fine because it really dissipates in the water. But boy, if I was a fisherman um, and my livelihood depended on it, I would be very upset. And also this week, the last of the cherry blossoms fell, and it's early. They said here in Japan that it is the earliest blooming of the cherry blossoms in 1,200 years. Wow. Yeah. They keep records. Yeah, apparently. Well, they, they had, it's, it was on the computer. They checked the, the, uh, the old uh, weather satellites from back then. But, but, but has there been like one person and a lineage of cherry blossom recorders through the past however many hundreds of years that their only job is to record the date of the first cherry blossoms and the last date of the cherry blossoms? You know, actually, I have no idea how they know that. Um, uh, that it's actually 1,200 years old. It's very important culturally here in Japan. So maybe, uh, in fact, someone was keeping. Well, record. that's why I'm thinking there must be there must be a lineage of cherry blossom date recorders. Uh, yes, the the famous. <laughs> oh, here we go again with the laughing. We're we're talking about such serious things here. Yes, uh, I'll look this up, and if I find something, I'll put a yes, link in the show notes because I'm curious please about do. this. Yes. So we're talking about the environment. <laughs> we got to stop laughing because. We're talking about oh, the environment, yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're here in the UK. We had, um, what, about 10 days ago, we had weather 
above 20 degrees for two days. So this is around the, the 1st of April. And that's like normal June temperatures. Now, it only lasted two days, but that is the kind of thing that makes me think, uh-oh, it's going to get warm this year. Like we had up to 35 degrees last summer, which is really inhabitual for a country at this latitude. Now, the, the thing this time is the question of human intervention and what it is going to do to us, especially those of us who live on the coast or in places where we're dependent on crops and water supplies that are going to be affected by the climate. If we look at human history, however, of course, we see that the Earth has gone through endless cycles of warming and cooling, warming and cooling. So what's different this time? Now, what I'm going to say is going to sound like I'm you know, anti-environmentalism, which I'm anything but. But I am going to say what's different is the inconvenience to us. I grew up in Florida, a few miles from the beach, and I've experienced uh, when, when some big storms come in, the water gets awfully close to the front door. And uh, the places in Florida where I grew up, they say in 50 years or a century, are going to be underwater. Uh, Florida. Some people think that's good. If you know Florida, you know there's a lot about it <laughs> that people say. Well, we don't need that. But it's 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 mostly uh, true that uh, the parts of South Florida where I grew up are going to be on water. I have a friend from the Maldive Islands. The entire nation could could vanish. Uh, it is the effect on us mostly that we are concerned about this time. It was fine, I guess, for our ancestors to be in the Ice Age. You just wait a million years or so, and the ice, uh, you know, vanishes, and then you you get on uh, with what you're doing. Uh, of course, you hunt the the mammoths nearly to extinction. So even back then, there was no such thing really as environmentalism. In the past, primitive people we say primitive. That's not a very good term. We so we should say people of old were not particularly environmental. What they but the thing was there were few of them. So they couldn't do so much damage. But there are so many of us, and we're living in all the wrong places, that when there are forest fires, well, we built our vacation house there. When there are floods, we got our condominium on the beach. But not only rich people, that's a first world problem. How long are you going to let me go here with this monologue, Kirk? You got to interrupt me. So Africa, wait, I'm not uh, the, no, I'm enjoying this. Uh, Africa and, and, the, and the poor places uh, of Asia. They're dependent on crops that, if there's famine, people die. People have no potable water. So it's a lot more serious. And I, I feel sorry for the guy losing his condominium, you know, in, in uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale. But I, I'm a, a much more worried about the wars and the various uh, diseases that, that, and the, the, the suffering of children. Uh, all the laughter has gone from this talk now, Kirk. Now we're down to it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Okay, yeah. but does doesn't Miami already flood often? It has. A doesn't few the times. sea come up on streets in Miami? Yeah, it has. Uh, I think uh, a few times. Not as serious as some think it could be under the right condition. Yeah. yeah. the The problem is that so much of our population lives next to the sea, and for for valid reasons, because you can catch fish, um, you can transport goods and trade using ships. Um, it just kind of makes sense to be by the sea. If you look at in, in the United States, the major cities for the most part are by the sea. If you look in India, Bangladesh, big cities by the sea. And these are, of course, the ones that are going to suffer as sea levels rise. 
you said something interesting. The reason we're concerned is because it inconveniences us. And that makes me think about something that's always bothered me about environmentalism. They talk about saving the planet. The planet's going to be fine. That's the planet's fine. had yep. ice ages and warmer areas, and it's had it's gone from the dinosaurs to you know us. The planet will be fine. We've had major extinctions of what ninety five percent of species, I think, two or three times already. Mm -hmm. So it's not about saving the planet. It is, quite frankly, and this gets toward the Zen side about saving sentient beings and particularly humans. But why should humans be more valuable in the broader scheme of thing than all of the other species? I don't think we are. We're not trying to save the planet. We're trying to save ourselves. Yeah. we're not, Now, first of all, it's not about the sentient beings because most people uh, don't care about the whales or the cows, uh, except... I thought you were going to say that there aren't too many sentient beings in Florida. There are no sentient <laughs> beings in Florida. I've been there. But uh, it, and the, the, the thing about the planet is the planet will get on just fine without us. We, we've spoken before about uh, that famous documentary series about what would the planet be like in 20,000 or 200,000 years if all the people disappeared. Well, the buildings would fall. Uh, most of them would be uh, vanished back to their original materials, their things would rust away, and the forests would grow again, the tigers would return to Manhattan, and uh, things would just, uh, nature would just get on. And here's the thing, I don't think we're the final stopping point of nature. So nature is like a, a river. It meanders. If it comes to a certain place and it's a dead end, it goes in a different direction. So uh, next time, yes, uh, the, uh, the sentient cockroach people, or the the, or whatever species replaces us. But how could we be the endpoint of nature? Humans are going to evolve over the next thousands, tens of thousands, millions of years. We may disappear. There may be other intelligent species. Maybe not. I don't like the idea of intelligent cockroaches, but who knows? Look, if I don't have children, some other person has children. So my genetic line ends, but the genetic line continues. Well, the entire race of the human race is like that. The entire species, the human species is like that. So if our species dies out, nature goes off and tries something else. And this is the, the thing. And if this planet were to vanish, how many other planets are also, shall we say, I don't know, experiment seems like there's actually someone trying to experiment, but nature itself is obviously fertile and constantly trying new designs and experimenting by itself through evolution. So if this planet doesn't make it, congratulations to the jelly people of Alpha Centauri. It's the, the you know, they get the prize. <laughs> this is a take on, uh, first off, environmentalism. If we're going to be environmentalists, we have to admit that a large part of it is about our personal interest too, and our children. We don't want to see, there, there's the old saying, you're going to hand this down to your grandchildren and their children. Well, we don't want to do that uh, either. But uh, my great 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 grandchildren, ah, who cares about them? They're on their own. So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but we want to preserve this. Now, what is, is ask me what is Zen attitude towards environmentalism? I was just going to ask you what is a Zen attitude toward environmentalism. Did you just think of asking that? That's good. I did actually. A Japanese temple is made of wood. I just heard a wonderful scholar speak about Kyoto, the great 
capital of ancient Japan. And he said, you know, people think that the temples there are thousands of years old. There is nary a building in Kyoto that is older than 150 years old. They've all burned down. They've been replaced. Nothing continues. But yet, those institutions have continued for century after century because the priests take care of them as best they can as their practice. We should look at this whole planet as something that is constantly changing and evolving, but it is our practice to take care of it because it is our temple. So they don't have a history of stone buildings in Japan? Very few. I wonder if that is a distinction between the way Japanese people think about the environment and the world compared to, say, Europeans, where for us, it's these big, sturdy stone cathedrals that are 800 years old that represent the continuity of time, whereas what you're saying is it's more the idea of a temple that represents a continuity of time. There is um, an image that uh, the Japanese have a, particularly lo a particular love and connection to nature that is rare among peoples of the world. And the first people who will tell you this are quite often are the Japanese. Uh, uh, they, they will also say things like, Japan is the only country in the world with four seasons. I've also been told that the Japanese people, uh, well, all, all kinds of things like that. There are all kinds of rumors. My, I've been in countries with four seasons before. Yes, I, I know that. I know that. But it's okay. just a, how to say national identity, like uh, right. Americans think that uh, only we have the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit when, where it exists many, many places. But I'm getting way off the tack. The, yes. the point is, if you do come to Japan, there are places of great beauty. But boy, let me tell you, this is a, how to say, in some ways, a post-industrial nightmare of a country, interspersed with places of tremendous natural beauty. But sometimes they mix the two. There, there's a tendency to, to have a beautiful scene and then put a Coke machine right there, <laughs> or electric lines. <laughs> and some, someone has said that the, the Japanese, I don't know if this is a cultural trait, but it is uh, perhaps for my wife and and some of my, my friends here, if there is a scene of great beauty, but up here there are electric lines, and over there there's a factory smokestack, and in, over on the other side there, there's an old rusty car park, but in the middle is a beautiful scene of Mount Fuji, they will focus on Mount Fuji and see that, completely ignoring the, the surroundings. This is my experience living here for 30 years. It is a yeah. beautiful, magnificent, ugly country. And they also have this habit of, in the middle of big cities, they'll put a wooden temple with a fancy Japanese garden as like a little, a little oasis of calm oh, yeah. in the middle of the city. One of my favorite temples in Tokyo, where my teacher's teacher was the abbot, is the Eheji Betsuen in uh, Aoyama in Tokyo. And it's uh, one of the Soto Zen training monasteries that is right next to the headquarters for Fuji Film and many, many other downtown <laughs> buildings. So after Zazen, you step out into the courtyard, and there's the bell tower, and there's the great hall, and you look up, and there's the skyscrapers all around, and above the skyscrapers, the stars. It's magnificent. It's, it is just the old and the new, and 
and nature and man and the past and the future altogether. So the Japanese seem to be better at um, compartmentalizing things that they're seeing, appreciating the good things, even if there's a small bit of them. Uh, I guess they have to because the population density is so high. Let's be very, very careful in this episode about stereotyping whole countries yes, that's and whole true. cultures. I'm just talking about my general Particularly about Florida. Many people I know. Yes. Yeah, no, no. I can say generally that all the people in Florida are crazy. That's why I left. <laughs> and when I left, I could definitely say all the people are crazy. But that, 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 that's not uh, a cultural stereotype. That's just true. But the, uh, the, the, the thing about nature in Japan is even the Japanese recognize that they need to take better care of nature, but they can't. We're addicted. We're addicted. That's why when Fukushima exploded, the first reaction was, this is an inconvenience. We got to get it. Oh, let's not argue about nuclear power, whether it's right or wrong. For most people, it was like, let's get the lights back on. I got to get to the mall. Yes. We, we, are, we are now hooked on consuming and dumping the trash and filling. We've, we've just talked about this last week, and the oceans are filled with plastic. We got to change. And the way to change is... First off, to admit, part of it is for our own interests. But to get two Zen lessons, number one is, if we say this earth is our temple and sacred, then it is. The earth is just the earth. But if our heart finds it to be a sacred place, then we can treat it as sacred. If we say, say it's our mother earth, you would treat it like our mother. You wouldn't dump your mother in the ocean, right? Wouldn't dump your mother in the landfill? Well, maybe you would. I don't know, Kurt, but I don't think <laughs> you're that you're that kind of guy. So you do not dump our waste products like we do all over the place and expect to live there in a beautiful world. That's number one. Number two is balance. Balance is vital. We must see that all the earth is a series of balances easily upset. And if we do kill certain species, it's going to have effects through the entire biosystem. We need to recognize this too. And let me add a third one too. We, we talked about this living small. We just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's vital we learn to live small. So Zen has very important lessons on environmentalism for all of us. I think the most important thing is to look at the interconnectedness of all things and beings yes. and how... There's the cliche of the butterfly flaps its wings someplace and it causes a storm someplace else. And and that is a bit of an exaggeration, but it's true that what we do affects people in other countries and what they do affects us. And particularly, there's this problem with first world and third world of us consuming so many resources and exploiting them from the third world where we might be doing environmental damage in those countries. And the third world people having say, more population growth, so it makes it harder for them to continue to survive. They don't have the same comforts that we do, and they want to catch up with us. So that, that's a part of the balance and the interconnectedness together that, I don't know, if we have air conditioning, I would think that people in India, where it's 40 degrees centigrade, would like to have air conditioning too. And who are we to deny them? We spoke about the air pollution in India when I went there. It almost uh, put me in the hospital. Uh, it was unbelievable. It, I wore the same mask uh, there uh, that a, a doctor recommended to me when I went uh, that uh, someone would use working in a paint factory. I brought that mask and I still had, had trouble breathing. And there are kids growing up there. 
It's just terrible. And basically, we've exported our pollution to these places. They're manufacturing without protection of uh, uh, environmental laws so that we can buy cheaper things in places like Saskatchewan and Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, So we need to learn this whole world is connected. What happens on one side of the planet affects us all. Because this whole planet we can also look at as our own body expanded. You have your right hand, your left hand, your nose, your feet. Well, this whole planet is just an extension of that. The thing is, though, we don't take care, very good care of our bodies either. <laughs> so look at <laughs> the junk we put in that. I just finished a couple of Oreos. We were talking about Oreos the other day. I got a couple more before I came on the air tonight here. And uh, yeah, we have to take better care of our bodies and the whole planet. But we are also one with the universe. And here's the thing. If those jelly creatures on Alpha Centauri are the universe too, and we are the universe, We're fine because, hey, we're just an experiment, as I said. And if Earth doesn't work out, they're going to work out uh, over there on planet Smurdy. It'll be just, (laughs) (laughs) it'll be just fine. Uh, About the first world, third world thing. By the way, what is the second world? We talk about the first world and the third world. I never figured that out. We talk about the first world and the third world, but we don't talk about the second world. I think we skipped it. Okay. I saw a story the other day, which is actually quite interesting. So we talk about the environmental impact of first world countries versus the environmental impact of third world countries. And we say, you know, it's all us. But there was a story the other day that they've got some new kind of satellite that can detect methane in the air. And apparently the highest incidence of methane releases are coming from Bangladesh. And it seems that a lot of this is from rice paddies. That Mm. when they do something in the rice paddies, it brings the methane out from the ground. And the the right-thinking people are all, well, the third world, it's not their fault. They're not doing anything wrong. But maybe it turns out that everyone's doing something wrong, no matter which world you're in. Well, ancient monasteries were not environmentally sound. I I got that book. I'm going to send you the link, and you put it up there. That uh, it's a it's it's a, a scholar's of economic tome on on Buddhist monasteries and, and a little dry reading, but his basic point is no guys, environment when a te- when a monastery came in they would clear the forest they would put in the fields they would uh, dump a, a lot of waste in the river it was not environmentally sound. Uh, ancient peoples would slash and burn for their a- agriculture and they would just fish whatever they wanted to fish like that and then dump the shells in a big pile which we our archaeologists now dig through but they're just basically big garbage dumps they would reach out their door and throw the bones and the shells in a big pile and when the pile got too big they would move a hundred yards over that way the difference was there wasn't billions of them there were a few million human beings so there was plenty of room you make a pile of shells just move down the street Stay there a thousand years and move to the next pile. Very easy, but we can't do that anymore. Yeah, we have this idea that indigenous peoples did things the right way. Um, But do you know why half of the United States is plains? It's because Native Americans burned forests and burned them in order to have land for hunting and to use the the wood to heat themselves and, and, and all that. And it's the same thing has happened in other countries. We're no better, no worse than people before. And 
I think the the only change now is that we're aware of the consequences of our actions. It doesn't mean we can stop. It doesn't mean we can make things any better. But at least we've reached that awareness that what we do does have an effect on a large scale. Let's look forward and not try to recreate the past. Uh, my categories here, you could you could hear, but uh, let's look forward and not try to recreate the past. And I, I don't want to yes. go into it because I went into it uh, just last week. I think we have to make basic changes in our unending uh, yearnings and greed and insatiable appetites within us, which will take some alterations to our our our, our bodies. We're we're going to have to. Ah, so now we get to the Zen part. Well, that's not the Zen. That's my Zen of the future thing. No, 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 but uh, that's the Zen part about taming your desires. Um, That desire is what leads us to suffering. And desire leads us to suffering in many ways. One is perhaps psychologically, physically, but another one is leading the entire planet to suffering, or at least leading our species to suffer on the planet. Well, I said this before, and I'm a Zen teacher. I think Zen has. I, I, I wanted to say, been a great success for some people in taming their appetite, but it has been a failure in getting the great majority of the population to do so. And all the other preachers and philosophers have never gotten human beings to tame their, uh, how to say, more selfish aspects. So uh, the only thing that's going to do it, I think, is 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 if we actually get into uh, our human genome and make us less selfish. But I don't want to get into that again. We, we've spoken about it before. But what's another uniquely Zen a- attitude towards the environment? That perhaps the world is also sentient, but not necessarily that a rock is sentient in the way you and I are. Or that a fish is uh, going to have a, a conversation with you. If if you do have a fish having a conversation with you, my advice is get seek a doctor immediately. Something's really really off, uh, you know. With and you. stop eating those funny looking shrooms. Yes, yes, definitely stop <laughs> stop that. And if because they'll talk to you too. But uh, we believe that the whole world is sentient because it is an extension of our mind. You think that you end at your fingertips, but the rock is you, and you flow into the rock as much as your you flow into your right hand, and you flow into your left hand, and your right hand thus flows into your left hand, and your nose and your toes, like that. So you flow into the trees and the mountains and the fish, and and when you do throw trash into the, the river, you might as well be injecting poison into your own bloodstream. We believe that. You might not see the effects right away of, of for example, injecting drugs into your bloodstream, but with time, you're going to see the effects on your body. Well, if we keep throwing trash in the river, we will see effects on our extended body. We need to, to see the whole world as not separate from us, but as us. And we are just that, you know. And uh, so for all the other animals there. Now, parts of your body, your human body, sacrifice themselves for other parts. For example, there are cells within your body that consume other cells or are replaced by other cells. 
Well, the world also functions like this, and we eat the carrots and we eat the peas, and sometimes we eat the fish and the the other uh, the pigs, because it's part of our extended self consuming itself to allow us to survive. But if we destroy this planet, there will be no place for us or the pigs or the fish. Well, maybe the the pigs and fish, as we said, you know, they made a planet. Planet of the Apes. Remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. But they could be, it could have been any other species. It could have been Planet of the Fish. Planet of the Pigs. <laughs> you know, we don't know what could replace us, but nature's not going to nature's not going to say, well, the the people didn't make it, therefore we're going to stop now. No, it's going to keep going just without us. Yeah, just remember when the dinosaurs were here. There were no humans back then. There were in the movies, but not in uh not in real life. Yeah, well, that doesn't count for real. Well, I take solace that I can still watch dinosaurs flying around in my garden every day. What, are you eating those mushrooms again? What are you... Uh... No, no, birds. The birds have descended from oh, dinosaurs. the birds. So yes. Every bird you see is a direct descendant of flying dinosaurs. Yes. And actually, I find it interesting to, to think about that, to think about that continuity with hundreds of millions of years of a species that has been through so much you know, such huge creatures, and then um, most of them disappearing because of, I don't know whether it was an asteroid or whatever, and then still some of them are there. So there is a longevity that you can see if you just look around you. Well, but don't stop at this planet. Look out into space. We're discovering every day another billion galaxies out there, and then the next day a billion more. It's all you. You're just that. So I, I have a feeling that uh, the, the, the universe takes kind of a shotgun approach to all this. And yes, I know certain religions uh, traditionally would say that uh, the earth, uh, mankind, is the center of all creation. But uh, Buddhism would tend to say that it's all the center of all. There isn't a corner of this universe that is not the center. It's, it all came out of the Big Bang, the great singularity. It's one great center. So, yes, we are the center of the universe, but so is everything. So, uh, with all due respect to friends who are worried about this planet, I say we should take care of it, we should nurture it. But if we fail, we can't fail, because the universe will go on, just, alas, without us. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? That's up to humankind to decide. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app, Please give us a rating, tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.